Welcome to the Active Faith Podcast, where we explore an active self-care lifestyle. My name is Andrew Weir. I am your host, and I am the Running Rev. This is more than just going for a run or a bike ride. These are conversations with others as we seek to build a theology of self-care together, exploring how we take the initiative to care for ourselves in whatever way feels best for us as we seek to live out our faith and vocations. This is episode 30, and today I will be having on the podcast the Reverend Donna Holder. Uh, As we jump into this episode, Donna is a dear friend and colleague of mine here in the Virginia Conference, and it was so great to get her on to really continue to explore this intersection of self-care and mental health, as well as what it looks like for us to have this active self-care lifestyle. That is, we are taking this initiative. We are doing it. We are actively practicing self-care. And I think that that is the direction that this podcast is beginning to take. And so let us dive into this conversation and dig deeper into this idea of self-care. All right. We are joined today by Donna Holder. Donna is a, a pastor here in the Virginia Conference with me. Donna, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. So let's get our time started, as uh, I like to do here on the Active Faith Podcast, and give you a moment to introduce yourself. Donna, who are you? Where do you call home? And then how are you active? Uh, My name is Donna Holder. I call Richmond, Virginia home pretty much all my life, which is unusual for a pastor under appointment. I've been appointed only in the Richmond area. Um, I I was previously in financial services industry felt a calling to pastoral ministry, been there for 22 years, and then a few years ago became certified as a life and leadership coach and an organizational development consultant. So I do a lot of things. Um, And how am I active? Wow. Um, I thought about this a lot more after you first asked me the question, and it's changed so much over the years. Right now, I'm mostly a daily several-mile walker, um, which I do with my husband and my dog. Um, I love to hike and kayak, uh, but as I said, that's gone through a lot of iterations because I'm getting a little older and have some, have had several joint surgeries, and so I've adapted. Um, I used to be a gymnast, swimmer, and diver, and then when my kids were young, we did taekwondo, and um, <laughs> I've run a half marathon, but my body won't do that anymore, so I've just had to learn how to adjust and change with my body and my life situation. And so, but that's what I do now. Yeah. And it sounds like there's been this manner of physical activity throughout your life. And so uh, what's the why behind that activity? Why, why, why are you active even in the ways you're active now? Uh, Well, then now uh, the reason I'm active is much easier than the previous, but the how the, the why has changed as well. Um, In the early days, one of my top five strengths is achiever which has its shadow side. Mm -hmm. So part of it, it was just to prove I could do it. Um, I I loved physical activity. I wanted to do things and be good at them probably more than I should have. I over-exercised in college and got a little unhealthy um, with that. When my kids were young, you know, life changes and you have to fit things in. So I um, joined in some of the activities they were doing and I did Taekwondo with them, partly to do it with them and partly because I felt outnumbered and figured I should, you know, keep up on my skills or they were going to rule the house. And then now (laughs) I do it for 
probably a little bit of vanity. Um, I want to look fit. Um, probably a little bit of fear of I've seen what happens if you don't as you age. But mostly I do it because I believe that, um, you know, theologically, Jesus teaches us how to be fully human and whole in all respects. And as I practice wellness and wholeness in all manners, physical, mental, spiritual, relational, I am better able to reflect um, God's love and to live God's purpose for me in life. And so it, it's a part of stewardship, really, of, of what God has given me is to stay healthy. And part of that is physical activity. And it becomes, as it always does, this conversation of continuing to care for yourselves, ourselves, and especially as you think about your journey uh, in physical activity and you were unpacking that why, uh, my mind was going to, okay, it seems like over time you've had to understand what does it mean to care for myself in this time? And so if, if I were to ask you today, um, you know, what, what would you define as self-care today in this stage of your life? Um, wow. And, and I'm, we're in a transition stage having just become grandparents and my husband's just retired. Um, both of our moms are living and ha are, um, need some attention. So we're caring for elders as well. Um, so at this point in my life, self-care, it, it, it's all aspects. Again, it, it's, it's physical, it's, it's eating well, it's getting sleep, and that has changed what I need for sleep. Um, it's allowing myself downtime and rest. Um, I used to be a little bit of a workaholic. Uh, now I'm not as much because I can do in three hours what it used to take me 10 hours to do. So I don't, I don't need to do the 10 hours, mm -hmm. you know? Um, it's a paying attention to my mental health when I sense things aren't quite right to, to address that. Um, it's spending time with people I love and with new people to develop relationships, to keep my mind open. Um, so all those things is what it means to me right now. And as a life and leadership coach, I'm sure you're also having these conversations with others as well. Uh, and as you kind of talked a little bit as we got ready for this episode, sort of this, this work-life balance that comes into play in self-care and what that can look like for us as we're conceptualizing, okay, I, need, I do need to work or I do have this work side of my life that I take part in. But I also need to have some kind of balance of spending time with kids, grandkids, family, friends, you know, uh, doing things that I love personally. Sure. Is it necessary that I do it? Is it if it has to be done, is it am I the one? Um, and that's been very freeing. And what I realized is that when when I'm not always the one, especially at church, because we figure out, you know, we're servants, right? Mm -hmm. We have to do all the things. Um, it denies other people the opportunity and the, the joy that comes from serving if we do it all. Um, so sometimes there's people that are better at it and sometimes the people aren't better at it, but I have to let them learn and develop and just let go. And so I've gotten a lot better about discerning between what is mine to do, what is not mine to do, so that work doesn't overflow into um, home time. Mm -hmm. I also live 30 minutes from the church which 
I highly recommend, <laughs> um, you know, next door or around the corner, it's just too easy f- for people to access. And it's too easy to say, well, I'll just pop over to the office. And even so more so if your office is at home. So boundaries are just really important um, to be fully present wherever you are, fully present at work and then fully present at home. And to continue in that understanding of building healthy lifestyles uh, in the various aspects of our lives. And so it's not just creating a healthy environment to work in, but it's also, I think there's a nature in which we want to create a healthy environment outside of work, within our family units, within our uh, friend circles, within other social circles that we have. And, And so what does a healthy lifestyle look like for you outside of work? Um, outside of work, it I spend a lot of time with my extended family. All of my kids are grown. I have one grandchild, um, and we are very blessed that all of our kids are in the same city, and we're all very close. They don't live under our roof anymore. Um, our moms are still here. My siblings live in um, Richmond. Um, we have a group text, so we're very, very close. We do all the holidays. We do all the birthdays. We tri- we take a vacation together. Um, I have a, a colleague group that's been together for, golly, 12, 15 years, uh, a, a covenant group mm-hmm. of female clergy. And we have shared life's joys and many, many sorrows, mm-hmm. and as well as helping each other out with, hey, does anybody know how to do this? Um, so I am with them. I um, travel. I'm actually talking to you remotely from North Carolina, where I'm working remotely today. Um, and then tonight, I'll get to take a little walk on the beach. Um, I access um, mental health care. I um, had told you previously when we were discussing doing this podcast that um, twice in my life, I've felt the need to deal with a mental health issue with a professional. Mm-hmm. And one was last fall. Um, I just felt like I wasn't myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had been long enough. You know how when you hurt your foot or your arm and you go, oh, I'll give it a few days. And then you go, oh, maybe I'll give it a week. And then after a week, you're like, maybe I need to go see the doctor about it. Well, yeah. I kind of do the same thing with mental health, you know, not feeling right, but it could just be temporary. Well, it went on long enough that I felt like it. I didn't want it to become chronic mm-hmm. and, and I could feel it affecting my relationships. So I just went and talked to my doctor and, um, you know, the last couple of years has been hard. I mean, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. He's fine. He was, um, now, but we had COVID I'm trying to keep an organization afloat and while doing a major renovation, a lot of other stressors, we couldn't hug people. So we're not getting that serotonin, yeah. you know, we're not seeing people face to face. So it's a real chemical issue. And so I told her what was going on. We decided to try medicine and therapy, which I think together the combination works well. And within a month and a half, I realized my husband wasn't nearly as annoying as I had thought he was. <laughs> um, and so I, I don't won't need it forever, but that's been a big part is paying attention and getting over the stigma of it, it's okay to pay attention to our mental health. Yeah. Um, spiritual health too. Uh, I connect to God outside, um, more than I do in a prayer closet. 
so lots of time uh, hiking and walking beaches and just walking water is just cleansing to me um i also make times to go away i'll go for the five-day academy for spiritual formation in august just to have a concentrated time away with colleagues where there's space for reflection but also for learning so all those things are important in my self-care i probably left out some things too but 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 i think you hit on something in there that that becomes really important and vital for us is that there is this stigma in our society for what it looks like to practice healthy any sort of healthy lifestyle right whether it's going and seeing a mental health professional whether it's actually taking that time to engage in some sort of uh prayer ritual whether it is a a walk on the beach or you know a time in a a relaxing chair or something like that i mean what is it about having a healthy lifestyle about taking care of yourself in these ways that's become such a stigma for our society you know it really has and and this became this got brought up to me just yesterday um you know clergy in our conference can take renewal leaves and i've had one and we've instituted at my church renewal leaves for staff after a certain number of years and so I have two staff going on renewal leave this summer and their friends are like, well, are you being punished? Like, do they want you out of there for some reason? Like, what are you going to do? Like, why? I've never heard of this, which just brought it home to me that we don't, we, we work, work, work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how good it is for us to step away and to find ourselves. Um, the mental health uh, concern it, it's funny, we go get checkups, we're supposed to, physicals every year, we get mm-hmm. eye exams, we go to the dentist twice a year for, you know, I go, I get my mammogram every year, we have a history of breast cancer in the family, I get that every year, I've had colonoscopy, highly recommend doing that, you know, do all the things, but mental health, we only do when it's a crisis. And we usually wait too long. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why that is, why, why we aren't more um, preventative and early on so that we don't get to crisis. But, but that's kind of how we operate, isn't it? Unfortunately, I think it is. I mean, I know with my own, you know, mental behavioral health, I mean, mom was the same thing, you know, it was the midst of the pandemic and, you know, we had just moved to a new area, moved to a new church, all just the great, wonderful stressors of life. And it just became a, uh, you know, for me, a point in which I had to do something, right? And you talked about it in your journey. At some point in time, like right, well, not at some point in time, but like right now, something has to change or it's going to have a big impact on our lives. And so how can we as people maybe maybe be a little bit better about being in tune with what's happening, both within ourselves and outside of ourselves, uh, that maybe these are things that we need to pay attention to, to care for our mental health, to take that step, to see a mental health professional, to get medication, what have you. Like, what are some of those things? What are some things that we uh, pay attention to that that we should be aware of? Um, Well, a few things as you were um, asking those questions. One is I talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we have a mom's group at church and I, and I 
spend time with them. And, and sometimes I lead that group and I have a book study group and I have the pulpit and I don't dwell on it. Um, but we do talk about mental health and, and we talk about, I've shared my story. I, I'm one that had a kind of an eating disorder in college. I've shared that publicly, not in depth, but I want people to know that if they have that, if they, if they're dealing with that, they can, I'm safe. Mm -hmm. Talk to me. They're not the only one. Um, because I do think we think we're the only one. I, a lot of people think, oh, nobody else is dealing with this. Well, chances are their neighbor is. One in 20 adults right now it suffers from a major mental health disorder. One in 20. And young adult age is where it's most often. And I think we're seeing this in our country with these the the violence episodes of violence that many times they are young people i had a i had a blip um <laughs> oh internet connection so one of the things is to talk about it one is um i think education i, I wish we were educating our children in our schools about the truth about certain conditions um, what is bipolar? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what is depression? It's not feeling bad. Like what, what are these things so that when they hear it and tell the truth about our families, you know, I have, um, alcoholism in, in my family and my husband's family. We're very, we were very upfront with our kids as teenagers. This is what, this is our coping mechanism in our family. This is what it's looked like. You need to be on guard for this. Mm -hmm. um, so taking away the, you know, that, that veil, mm -hmm. we don't talk about this and it's scary stuff. No, it's, it's just, it's just part of life. And this is what we deal with. If depression is in your family history, talk about it, get screened for it, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's part of it is, is just talking and education, um, sharing our stories and also keep staying connected with people. And this isn't the answer to that exact question, but as I coach clergy, especially over these last two years, um, what I hear over and over again, especially in the, the new coaching relationships, is part of the thing that made them reach out is they're feeling isolated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they want help navigating something at church, but really the thing that made them respond or reach out was the lack of connection or not having our meetings. We're out sometimes in remote areas. Um, and so part of the preventative, I think, is staying connected. Um, and it takes effort. It does take effort. So I sit down, I, I, made a, I make a list at the beginning of the year or sometimes every quarter. Here, here are the friends in my, that I'm going to make sure I contact this quarter. You know, people that I don't see every day. Um, um, and so I've tried to be more deliberate about that for an introvert. That's hard. Yeah, <laughs> no. And I think, I mean, it brings up a lot of the themes that we've talked about here on the podcast before of, yeah. you know, being, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think really big, the big first step is just being open and honest, not just with ourselves, but with those who are closest to us, uh, that even if it's like, I mean, sometimes I'll just tell my wife, like something feels off, like something feels different, strange, you know, I'm sure we've all used maybe some of these words. 
and sometimes I think maybe just like putting that out into the into the universe and saying it with someone present almost in and of itself can be a little freeing for us as we begin to think about, okay, what does help look like in this situation? Uh, and when I think about clergy who have uh, looked for coaching uh, like you offer or who have looked for mental behavioral health uh, therapists, who have looked for any number of things, it I think it starts with that almost admission that, okay, no, I, I need this. This is something that will help me, will benefit me in some way. Sometimes it comes from someone else, like having a conversation with them and talking to them about something they've noticed or something like that. Uh, but I think there is that admission and admission within the midst of community that helps to, to bring it out. Unfortunately, it doesn't always overcome the stigma in society, which really sucks sometimes. Because, uh, yeah, I, one step at a time, though. Right? Yeah, I, I feel like maybe, you know, everybody, I mean, I enjoy it, even in the weeks that I'm not having like a bad week, that I have therapy, it's still nice to go in and just have someone who I can talk to, who is there, not as a judgmental person, not that, you know, people in my life are, are that judgmental, but who just sits there and listens to me. And then sometimes I'll go in and be like, well, I don't, I don't really have anything to talk about. And then like 20 minutes later, I'm like spilling my, you know, deepest, <laughs> darkest, the, the depths of my subconscious. And I'm like crying on the couch. No. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, <laughs> well, it's because somebody listens and yeah. you know, listening is a, is a skill and we don't, you know, have those places where people listen. And I mean, we've been so uh, taught, formed as a society not to seek help, I think, uh, that, that we can do everything on our own uh, or we should do everything on our own. And when we aren't doing everything on our own, we're doing something wrong. Um, you know, I definitely know that I felt a lot of that in my first few years of ministry is like, okay, no, I'm, I'm out here. I'm, I'm doing my, th I've got to do my thing. I've got to get it done. Uh, you know, I was serving in a rural community, so I didn't really have a whole lot of clergy support, you know, physically, geographically around me. Um, you know, I mean, oftentimes I'd reach out to my DS if I really had no idea what was going on, but I think, I think sometimes we, we isolate ourselves. Um, and, and then in isolating ourselves, we, we create, or we recreate the stigma of having to do everything by ourselves and we yeah. perpetuate it and it continues to go and go and go. Um, and so, no, go ahead. No, we also tell ourselves a lot of, of lies and these things keep us from, yeah. um, from reaching out. One is they probably don't have time for me. Mm -hmm. Reality is they're probably as hungry for it as you are. Um, to if, if it's a colleague to connect. Um, number two, it, for accessing whether it's mental health or healthcare um, in general, oh, everybody, other people have so much more difficult issues they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. This is really minor. So, so we use that one. Um, the other thing is it's, it's often helpful and important to get support. One of the questions. When, I want, when I'm coaching somebody and, and they're, they've come to the, a decision about what they want to do moving forward from whatever their goal is, and that could be a, a, something they want to do or a different way, a different mindset they want to adopt, I always ask them, what support do you want to put in place for this? Because when it's a change or, or something that isn't just easy to do that you don't mm -hmm. do habitually, 
we do need support. Sometimes it's a sticky note on the mirror to remind us to make the phone call. Sometimes it's, yeah, I'm going to tell my husband that by the end of the week, I'm going to call the doctor. Um, because we aren't good. We're good at, if it's not a crisis, we just, oh, I'll just put it over here for a while longer. And then it becomes a crisis. Yeah. Um, one of the challenges with the mental health access, I called, I had three people recommended to me because my therapist had uh, retired. And I called all three of them and none of them called me back. I called one of them twice. You know, I'm only going to try so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably more persistent than most. And And I know that they're backed up and I know people are, they're overloaded. And, and so it may not be possible to find what you need there. Uh, but certainly don't stop there, mm-hmm. you know, find another way um, to get that need met rather than saying, well, obviously everybody's too busy or obviously nobody wants to talk to me. It is hard right now. Um, so I will say that. And so you talk about this process in terms of of your mental health and, you know, um, the the journey that you've gone through recently and that. And so, you know, earlier I asked what a self-care look like in this stage of your life. Uh, but even in, I don't want to say transition. Um, I feel like that's the wrong word. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, it's- That feels it's, a little uh, fatalistic. <laughs> no, it does. It does. And, and, and as I like thought it in my mind, I'm like, that's the worst word to use right now. Um, as you've gone through this, uh, not just recognition, as you've gone through the healing, as you've gone through this period, uh, in your life, what are some of the, what are some of the healthy lifestyle things that you've gained? What are some of the positive changes that you've seen come out, uh, of this time? Wow. Um, I think there's something about being over 50. That's pretty amazing. Um, where I don't care as much what other people think. So uh, there are people that I care about. Mm -hmm. I I care about what they think, you know, the people that are close to me and, and they're trusted people, but in general, like I'm just not on Facebook as much. Um, I'm more comfortable doing what I want to do and what I think is good for me rather than considering, okay, what is everybody going to think about this? Mm -hmm. So that's been one very positive change. Um, Another is I've shed some things that I just didn't find helpful. Um, I I know social media can go either way. And I feel sometimes you feel badly that I don't, get everybody's birthdays on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> or I, I don't know that their sister has died because that's the only place that somebody announces it is Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but I disconnected for several months this winter because I found that it wasn't helping my mind. It wasn't helping my relationships or my emotions. And so, and now I'm on it very sporadically. I'm not saying everybody should do that, but you have to evaluate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a lot more instead of watching TV. Um, TV is just a time sucker. When I heard that every hour of TV you watch shortens your life by like seven minutes or something, like, oh, we can't have, we cannot have that. <laughs> now, I don't know what reading does, but, but I got to think it's better. Um, 
or talking to my husband, you know, imagine that working on relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just really looking at how I use my time um, because it is a limited resource. You know, you only get so many revolutions around the sun, right? Um, so yeah, um, that's mostly what I would what I would say. I also eat better, you know. Uh, my husband's gluten and dairy free for med- for health reasons, not because he just can't. Yeah, I do that, and so we're trying to be really like paying attention to what we're what we're eating because somebody's gonna have to take care of us one day and mm-hmm. I'd like for that one day to be a long time from now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how much do you bring your own personal experiences into how you lead as a coach? Uh not not at in some ways not at all because mm-hmm. When you're, when you're coaching someone, just like when you're pastoring, you know, when you're being a pastor, you kind of have to take all of your stuff, your map of the world and put Mm -hmm. it aside so that you can ask good questions and make observations about the, about what the other person is saying and their body language. Um, Just as when we're pastoring and somebody has an experience, the worst thing I can say is, well, I had the same experience Mm -hmm. and let me tell you about it. It's just, it's not how it works. I won't say that I'm not informed um, by my history, um, but I don't bring it in much mm-hmm. to coaching just because that's not how coaching is designed. Sometimes in the middle of a conversation, I will ask the person, would it be okay if I take off my coach hat mm-hmm. and put on my colleague hat? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and if they say yes, then we might have a discussion colleague to colleague. Um, but generally in coaching, we try to stay very focused on what's going on with the other person and try to, if something triggers me, really try to set that aside. Does that make sense? No, it does. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I mean, I don't, it, I don't know whether I was expecting you, you to just flat out say yes or, but it was also kind of a little bit uh, a response that I was expecting, but I also hear the way in which you talk about the experiences that you've gone through in your life and the positive changes that you've had in your life. And I also wonder whether those kinds of things that you've seen are also things that you want for others. And I'm not saying that that would direct you to take one path. Um, but I also see a way in which it might fuel kind of maybe fuel the fire, fuel your desire as a coach to help people in that. And I think that may be different than the question I asked, um, but I wonder how much that also plays a role in, in your, in your uh, vocation as a coach. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the main tenet behind coaching is we believe that each person is resourceful, whole mm-hmm. and creative. Um, they may not know it <laughs> um, and they may have limiting beliefs and stuff, but the, the things that I have been through and the place that I have come to and I know I still have a long way to go. If, if, if I can come make, make progress and grow, other people can too. And to be a partner in that 
is really exciting to me and to watch people. I particularly love working with uh, younger people or newer clergy, no matter what the age, what mm-hmm. age or people in transition, transition to retirement, transitioning between uh, appointments. Um, it, it, watching the growth happen as they make space for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just saying, yeah, I have a meeting with a coach once every two weeks, just like having a meeting with a therapist creates yeah. the space where you can just process things. Um, so it, it, the changes in growth I've had in my own life certainly do inform my motivation and passion for coaching mm-hmm. because it, it works. You know, we, we, it, we address people's thinking because our behavior doesn't change unless our thinking changes. And so we're thinking partners and I, and I love it. Like I love thinking with people. It's just yeah. fun and watching the light bulb go off. And a lot of times my light bulb goes off too. And I'm learning from the person. It's a, just a generative creative space. So maybe that gets more at your, where you were going with that. But yes, it certainly does inform it. Well, and I think it's a, I, I think often it's a both and kind of understanding, right? Because you're, your experiences, where you've been in life, where you've been as a clergy person, as a, as a human being, it, it's going to inform who you are and drive your passions. Oh, and absolutely. It's not, and it's not necessarily that you're going to sit down with someone and, you know, I don't, I don't ever expect my therapist or, or anybody else who I'm seeking professional help from to sit there and be like, oh, this happened to me. And then they tell the story. But I yeah. like to think, but I also like to think that a lot of times you're thinking that story in your head and you've got that, you know, I say something and it sparks a story in your head and it often will remind you, no, this is why I do this because I get to help this person. I can help this person realize and lead them down this path, just like I have gone down this path before. And you're not like retelling, you're not rehashing, retelling your stories, but you're helping them develop that sense within themselves. You're helping them find yes, ways to and care. Yes, and the nuance there. Yeah. The nuance there is find their own path. Yeah. Because my path is not their path. Mm-hmm. And so I, I know that there is a path, but it's being knowing that there's a path and being detached enough to say, yeah, yeah, let's let's figure out your way forward, which yeah, which I might not agree with, actually. I don't have to agree with their path. Mm-hmm. But that's okay because it's their path. Um so yeah, that's a fascinating thing about men. There's a fine line between coaching and mentoring. Mm-hmm. Mentoring is kind of leading down the path, getting yeah. helping them with the tools. Here's here's what helps in this situation. Um, so there's, there's just a, a bit of a nuance there and that, but that's equally exciting as watching somebody discover their own path. It's almost kind of like that vocational, uh, that, that vocational um, joy that you get. Wholeness and their own answers. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, let's move into these uh, end of podcast questions as we wind our time down today. Uh, this has just been an awesome conversation. Uh, Donna, what makes you feel accomplished? What makes me feel accomplished? Um, specifically, I was really proud of myself last year. I finished another master's degree. Um, 
because I love to learn. So mm-hmm. when I learn something new, I feel really accomplished. Um, yeah, learning. What is an upcoming goal that you have? Um, to not have any goals for a while. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, we just come through a really rough period. Yeah. And um, I, I've been at my church 12 years and we've done two te- capital campaigns and two huge renovations, one during COVID. I just finished another degree. I've gotten my coach certification, family things. And right now, my goal is to um, lie fallow for a little while, do what needs to be done, keep feeding my spirit, my soul, my body, and and then be open to what is next. Because right now, um, I'm always goal-driven, but I think now is a time to maybe not be. Yeah. I think that's a that's an amazing insight. Sometimes in life we don't necessarily need a goal, but the goal becomes to just take us. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I to love be that. present. Yeah. My goal is to be present. There you go. There you yeah. go. Who do you go to when life gets tough? Aside from God. <laughs> um you know, I have a couple of uh I have a clergy colleague that was a mentor and, um, and is a friend and we've been friends for gosh, 30 years. Don't live in the same state. Um, uh, but we talk every month. We make sure we talk every month. And that is the person I go to. That's one of them. Um, my husband, my mom, you know, we all, I'm so grateful to still have my mom. Um, she's always been, one of my best friends and I'm grateful for that because I know not everybody has that but she'll just let me whine even if it's not my right to whine you know even if she really even if everybody else would say you know you really have no business whining she'll just let me do it and love me anyway Um, and then I have this this covenant group and when when I need prayer or when I'm feeling when things are going on that I just can't tell the general public I'll I'll text them and say hey ladies I need you. So that's who I go to. And then what are some other ways that you practice self-care? I think we've, we've brought up a few here on the, (laughs) we covered all of them on the episode. Um, (laughs) The things I don't do jump out of airplanes, um, go in hot air balloons, (laughs) um, hang glide off of mountains, You, you know, I did some of those things in my youth and now I'm just a little more cautious. So um, (laughs) sometimes it's about what you don't do. Yeah. I manage risk. (laughs) (laughs) So I think Donna is saying, if you want to hear some other self-care things, uh, rewind and listen to the episode again. (laughs) (laughs) Too funny. Oh, well, that's great. Donna, it's been awesome having you on. Uh, Thank you so much for for joining. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks. It was fun. Appreciate it. Oh, wow. And with that interview, we close out on the 30th episode of the Active Faith Podcast. And what a blessing it is to continue to be able to bring these conversations, to put them in your ears for you to listen to like I say in the intro, that we can all help to build this theology of self-care together. 
Uh, for those of you who have not seen, this has just become something that has become a part of my life, a part of my ministry as we have gone through this past uh, about six or seven months now, and I've really been encountering this space. If you haven't seen it, there was a video that was posted on the Active Faith uh, Facebook and Instagram account of, of me speaking on the floor of our annual conference about clergy care. Uh, I know on here I speak across many different vocations, or at least I hope so. In that moment, speaking to the care of the clergy in our annual conference in the United Methodist Church and taking that opportunity, and hopefully if you listen to that, you heard some of those themes, some of those comments that we have unpacked in this podcast, and especially as we reflect on Donna's conversation here from today, and we think about where Donna's journey led us in our conversation of being true and honest with ourselves about the state and nature of our mental, of our emotional, of our physical health, and taking those necessary actions to do what we need to do. I can't think of a better episode to release off of uh, that that, uh, speech that I gave on the floor of our annual conference to call for our clergy to care for themselves, to recognize and name ways that they can care for themselves. And so uh, take that from Donna's episode, right? That, that we take the initiative, that we do these things. And then, and then the work that we do for ourselves also becomes modeled for those who are around us. And so they see what we're doing to care for themselves. And hopefully within that, it sparks that nature, that way in which others can care for themselves too. Uh, and, and that's just, that becomes a lot of what this is about, of how we continue to learn, of how we continue to grow. And that's one thing that I want us to realize as we continue to build this community together. So you'll see some ways to connect with Donna in the uh, podcast notes down below. So check those out so you can see ways to connect with her. And while you're down there, you are going to see all sorts of ways to continue to connect with this podcast. And if you are not already, I would love it if you would support this podcast. As I like to say, this podcast is listener supported. This is for you, by you. Um, I know I'm the one behind the microphone, but I would not be doing any of this without your support. And so don't forget to check out those show notes, the Active Faith Community on Facebook, the Facebook group where we support and encourage one another. Make sure you follow and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting app. And then these shows, these uh, episodes are just going to pop right into your feed as they become available. And and while you're doing that, if you would hop on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you use either one of those, if you don't, just hop on over. You can still go to Apple Podcasts, even if you have a PC, um, and, and give the podcast a rating and review. We, we still only got one review. We're at about uh, one review. We're at about 10 ratings. And so, I mean, y'all are loving this. I, I, I know it. Uh, but if you would just take the time and leave a rating and review, you. And then also, if you would just find it uh, in, in the spirit of your heart to, to be a donor for this podcast, to help to continue to make sure this podcast continues to happen uh, through your support uh, on, on my Patreon page. That is patreon.com slash run in without a G run in rev. That link is in the podcast notes. And again, we're still looking for our first 20 Patreons over there and we will be having a giveaway once we hit 20 patreon subscribers and so if you would just help to support this podcast and if you cannot do any of the other things please i would love it if you would just hit that share button let others know that this podcast exists uh that there is this help that there is this support that there are these conversations that are happening and now may god bless each of us and may we find ways to stay active in and for god's kingdom amen